Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, if you're excited to be at church today, let me hear a little whoop, whoop. It is so good to be hanging out with you. The change in the weather has been good for my soul. On Monday, I came home from uh, work and I went out to the garage, pulled the cars out, and I hosed that sucker down, squeegeed it, swept it, washed the cars. For me, like during the winter season, the garage just gets destroyed, and that's kind of like my, I say it's my happy place, but I'm not good at anything in a garage. I can't fix anything, but I like to keep it clean so that way I feel cool. I hope you guys have had a chance to wash your cars out. I hope you're smiling, enjoying some nice weather. Yesterday, on my way to Hy-Vee to get some donuts with the boys, I wore shorts just to like, I, that's how you can kind of tell. It's not Groundhog Day. It's whether or not you see a lot of people starting to wear shorts with some Crocs. That's when you know that like winter is almost over. I am so glad that you guys are here because today we're gonna be starting to wrap up uh, just a part of this sermon series. We're, over the course of this year, we're gonna be taking you through about 45 to 50 key scriptures Uh, throughout the Bible, but we've broken them down into individual sermon series, and we're getting ready to wrap up the sermon series that we started at the very beginning of the year. So far, we've talked about change, freedom, wisdom, rest, happiness, and worry, and today is kind of like part one of the conclusion, and next week, Jerry is going to be giving you like part two of the conclusion of this sermon series called A New you. And the reason why these two weeks are so important is because as you've been going through this series, if you were to be honest with yourself, if I was to be honest with myself, there are parts of you that just, you've heard the sermon on change, but maybe not all that much has actually changed. You've heard the sermon on freedom, but you don't necessarily feel that much more free. Uh, Even though you're doing your best to live a life with wisdom and embrace a life of rest in God, you still feel, if you were honest, ill-equipped and exhausted. Uh, Even though you know what happiness is and where to access it and how to live in it, you still, if you were to be honest, if someone were to put you in a corner and you had to tell the truth, you still feel a bit down. And although last week when you heard Jerry's message, you were moved and challenged when Jerry talked about how to navigate worry, you still don't necessarily feel victorious about it. And that's why these next two weeks are so important. So if you're joining here at our 48th Street location or one of our other locations all across this region, maybe you're traveling and watching with us online. And for those of you who are part of the Crossing Inside, we're so thankful that we get an opportunity to hang out with you guys again. My hope is that today will help you put Uh, this sermon series that we've been navigating into context. Now, this sermon um, has a lot of scripture in it, which I've been told isn't necessarily a bad thing. But uh, in order for me to like uh, help you understand what's happening in the text, I just wanna spend a lot of time allowing you to read the text. So instead of me just telling you the story, I'm gonna read the story from the Bible. So you're gonna have to hang on and bear with me, but I, I really believe it'll be worth it if you can push through. We're gonna start in Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the, his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. If you're having a hard time visualizing what these young, smart, handsome men look like, look no further than your local campus pastor, okay? Those guys, okay? And qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should you, uh, he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. This is where it gets a little scary. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. I was making a joke about this on Thursday night when I was preaching this sermon, that like I can handle most of the stuff that was going on, but I would never be a man of faith to the point where I would put my trust in water and vegetables. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just not happening. And then I had to read in front of my wife the text where after 10 days, they looked better and healthier than everybody else. And I joked that my wife was going to put me on a a diet of nothing but water and lettuce. Ironically, a family had invited my family over for dinner on Thursday night. We'd been trying to do it for a couple of weeks. I kid you not, that night at their house, they served me water and they had a salad buffet, which was the first time I had eaten salad, I think, in like multiple years. <laughs> and they were joking like, you're not gonna believe this, but we're having a, a buffet. And I like salad. I need, to be, I need to be honest real quick inside the text because you can put meat in salad. I've seen that people do that now, and then you put croutons. My favorite way, instead of croutons, is a bun. And instead of uh, meat, like all shredded up, you just put it in a burger. And then you just put a little bit of lettuce, a little bit of onion, a little bit of tomato, and that's how I eat my salad. 
But these guys are navigating some unbelievable challenges. Can you imagine being these four guys? You've had every part of your life uprooted. You lose your home, you lose your national identity, you lose your freedom, they change your name, so now you lose your identity, and now you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do with your diet. Everything about you is being stripped away. And these were good, God-fearing young men. They were doing everything right. They were showing up for church and they were taking notes. They were serving in ministry. They were engaged in worship. They were coming to the steps to pray. They were doing everything right. They were leaning in into change and freedom and wisdom and rest. And they were learning how to navigate happiness and worry. They were doing everything right on the inside. But meanwhile, everything on the outside was falling apart. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been trying to do all the things that God's called you to do and live the life that he's called you to live and these incredible things are happening on the inside? But on the outside, it's pretty dark and gloomy. And if you're like me, When I'm doing things right on the inside, I have an expectation that things will go right on the outside. And if you're like me, if I'm doing things right on the inside and things don't work out on the outside, I get a little upset. I get a little angry. I start to have doubts. If you're like me, you've been doing everything right on the inside, things aren't turning out the way you want them to on the outside, you start to blame God, question God. What would you do? Let's keep going in the text. Daniel chapter one, verse 16. So the guard took away their choice food and uh, and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Things begin to take a turn. They're getting a little bit more up and to the right. However, they're still stripped of their identity. They're still stripped of their home. They're not getting everything back. God hasn't delivered them and giving them everything that their heart desires. He's just made it a little bit better where they're at. And then sometime later, this very king set up a gold statue, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, covered in gold. And he summoned all of his leaders in the kingdom out to this plain, and he gave them these instructions. Uh, When the music plays, I want all of you to bow down and worship this statue of gold that I've made. If you choose not to bow down and worship it, I'm gonna throw you in something else that I've made, which is right over here, which is a furnace. So you have a choice. You can bow down and worship this golden image or you'll be thrown into the furnace. 
So the king made a motion to uh, the conductor and the conductor cues the band and the band begins to play and all across the plain, leaders bow down and worship. Uh, except for three dudes. People notice this and it causes a commotion, so they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember, he's been looking at them favorably, and now he's ticked. He tells them, listen, guys, I'm gonna play the music again, and this time you better bow down, or I'm gonna throw you into the furnace. What would you do in this scenario? I'll be honest with you. I don't think I would stand. I'll tell you why. Because I would rationalize my disobedience to God. I would go, God, first of all, I've been doing everything that you've been wanting me to do and it has not been working out. So if it's cool with you, I think I'm gonna call this play. God, I only have to bow down for like 30 seconds and I can worship you for the next 30 years. God, <laughs> if I die today, I can't tell anybody about how awesome you are tomorrow. I don't think the conclusion that I would come to would be, I'm gonna stand. It's easy to, when you read Bible stories to kind of put yourself in the hero part of the story. For me, this isn't one of them. I'm not Shadrach, I'm not Meshach, I'm not Abednego. This is what the king says at the very end of his statement. But if you will not worship, worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. I want you to remember this last statement. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Your God, who allowed you to be exiled, who allowed you to lose your home, lose your friends, lose your family, lose your identity, that God hasn't spared you yet, and he's not gonna deliver you from my hand now. What God are you gonna serve? This was their reply. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He has the capacity, he has the power, and he will deliver us from your hand, or from your majesty's hand. I don't know if I would say that because my experience has been that everything's been falling apart and God hasn't been that good to me, even though I've been doing everything right on the inside. Uh, then they make another statement, which is even harder for me to hear. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. These guys are lunatics. They're crazy. They're not us. Just 30 seconds of disobedience to God is all it would have taken. 
I don't find myself having the courage to, after I feel like I've been doing everything that God called me to do and everything around me is falling apart. I think I would have a hard time making the statement, making the claim. God is still a deliverer, even though I haven't been delivered. God's still worth serving, even though life's not going the way I thought it would. And even if he uh, doesn't deliver us, it's still worth it. <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar, keep going in the text, was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So apparently there was like a normal torture temp. And he's like, we gotta dial it up. So they put some stuff on it, it's seven times hotter. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. I love the Bible, this is why you read it. Because check out what it does next. It goes into a detail of what they were wearing. And this year, in the blazing hot furnace calendar, we have guys where, but it's what they're describing is these guys are wearing kindling, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So the guys who were throwing them in died it was so hot. And you would think that that's where the story ends. These guys were just faithful unto death. Oh, it's so cool. Let's keep reading. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, <laughs> weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into your fire? Those guys are like, yeah, we have one, two, three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Me yeah, three. How do you lose track, you know? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see, everybody help me out, four <laughs> men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Who could that be? Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. The guy who was throwing him in there is now begging them to come out of the fire that he threw them into. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, and everybody crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. 
Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be turned to piles of rubble, for, read that last sentence, no other God can save in this way. Do you remember when he was going, what God can save you from my hand? And that same king moments later is saying, for no other God can save in this way. They would have, we would have rationalized our disobedience. Shadrach and Meshach just stayed faithful and they witnessed to a king and turned to kingdom. Now Daniel, one of their buddies, wasn't in that story. So where was he at? Where was he hanging at? Well, he gets his turn. I'm gonna take you to that one now. Uh, later on, a, a new ruler takes over in Babylon by the name of King Darius. And Daniel found such favor with King Darius that he was going to place uh, Daniel over, or Darius was gonna place Daniel over the entire kingdom. And the other officials were infuriated at this and they tried to bring charges against him. However, Daniel was so above reproach they were unable to do so. Wouldn't, isn't that just a beautiful testimony about Daniel's faith? That there was just no charge that they could bring against him. I would love it if all of the bosses at all of our locations were such good bosses that their employees <clears throat> couldn't bring any charge against them because they were just so upright in how they behaved. And all the employees at all of our locations were like, amen. Uh, also, just for the record, I would like all of the employees at all of our locations to be such incredible employees and coworkers that all of their other coworkers and bosses would take notice of them and go, they're, they're just so upright and above reproach. Well, these men, they still wanted to figure out a way to bring Daniel down, and so this was the conclusion that they came to. Daniel chapter six, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they hatched a plan. They convinced the king to issue a decree that everyone must pay, pray to the king exclusively for the next 30 days and to no other God. The king agreed not knowing that their intent was to set up Daniel. So for 30 days, there's a decree. You can't pray to anybody but to the king. You can't pray to Jesus, you can't pray to God. No praying, except to him. So what did Daniel do? Daniel chapter six. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his uh, upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving, what? Thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What would you have done? I'll tell you what I would have done. I'd have done like the driving prayers where you just pray with your eyes open. On your way to work, you're just praying through stuff. You just keep your eyes open. If I was Daniel, I would have just quiet prayed with my eyes open while I was riding my horse through the street and nobody would have known. I would have undercover prayed. I'd have pulled the covers up over me before I went to bed that night and I would have prayed my private prayer underneath my covers. I would have gone into the basement and I'd said, hey, I'm gonna, fix some stuff in the basement, and I would have done my praying thing then. But that's being a little generous with me, 
Because I'll be honest with you, if I've lost my family, I've lost my home, I've lost my national identity, I've lost my own identity, I don't know if I'd spend a whole lot of time praying God and giving thanks because I think I would be a little ticked. But Daniel does what he's always done. He goes to the window, he opens it towards Jerusalem, his homeland, he gets down on his knees three times a day, and he prays. I would have said, listen, just pray in 30 days. God, if I pray to you publicly today, I might not be able to pray for you publicly tomorrow. But he does what he's always done. So they brought Daniel in front of the king and the king was beside himself because he realized he'd been set up. He tried to do everything in his power to reverse the law against Daniel, but nothing could be done. So, in Daniel chapter six, it says this, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. They threw Daniel into the lion's den and then they rolled a stone over it. Then they sealed it so nobody could let him out. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? If I was Daniel, I would have given a really long pause. <laughs> would, I mean, at this point, I'd have just... And then look what he says. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now I want you to pay attention to the king's response. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Did you notice that both Daniel and his friends experienced extreme highs and extreme lows regardless of how committed they were to God? Their commitment to God did not keep them from being exiled. It did not keep them from enduring the pain of losing their identity. It did not keep them from having to take a stand and push all of their chips into the center of the table. What they experienced was the presence of God. Notice what God did do and what God didn't do. Uh, God did not keep them from being thrown into the fire. Could God have kept them from being thrown into the fire? The answer to that question is yes. Yeah. If you were God, isn't that what you would have done too? I'm just not gonna let you go in the fire. Uh, 
Instead of keeping them from going into the fire, uh, God chose to go into the fire with them. That's what he did. Could God have kept Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den? Help me out, what's the answer to that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. That would have been a huge win for me. Like God, don't let me get thrown in there. I, I will love that about you. But that's not what God did. Uh, God chose instead to let him get thrown into the lion's den and just shut the mouths of the lions. You, you and I might try to rationalize our faith and try to rationalize our disobedience to God because we think we see things better than God. But in both of these circumstances, God used these men's unwavering faith to witness to kings that ended up shaping kingdoms. Each time the kings were exposed to the raw delivering power of God. You might be wondering why after trying to do everything right, you still find yourself in challenging circumstances. You might be wondering why does your lower story just seem so low? Why even when what I have on the inside is going the right way, why are all the things on the outside falling apart? And what do you do when you find yourself in the lower story and everything on the outside is falling apart? I'll tell you what you do. You keep your eyes focused on the upper story. Look what happens in Daniel chapter seven. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's God, and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. God gives Daniel in the lower story a vision of the upper story and he also gives him a vision of heaven. And he gives him a vision of one who will leave heaven and come and walk the earth. He gives him a vision of when the lower story will cease to exist and all that is left is the upper story. You'll notice in there, there's this phrase that shows up, it's called son of man. That is a vision of Jesus. That title is used over and over again in the Old Testament. And you'll read it again in the New Testament. And do you know who uses the phrase son of man the most? Jesus. It's Jesus's favorite title about himself. I have a lot of titles. I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. I don't know which one, I probably have more titles. My wife could probably give you some titles that she has for me. I have a lot of titles. I don't know which one's my favorite. I know which one Jesus's is. His favorite title is son of man. Why is Son of Man so important to him? Because it reminds us that he understands, he sympathizes, he gets it because he embraced what we go through to go through it with us. It reminds us that you and I are not alone, that even though things are going right on the inside and everything's falling apart on the outside, he is with us in those scenarios. Even though he endured pain, we look at him and we realize that while he walked around in the lower story, it didn't rob him from his ultimate purpose in the upper story. So when you find yourself walking through a world that's falling apart, you look to Jesus and remember there was a time when he suffered. There was a time when he endured pain. But now, 
he reigns in power. Even though he suffered, now he's glorified. Even though he was once abandoned, now Jesus is surrounded. Even though he was poor, now he sits on a throne. Even though he was hung on a cross, now he wears a crown. Even though he died, now he is very much alive. This is not the end of the story and it's not the end of your story. This new you that's trying to operate in this new year, I need you to understand the son of man is with you. How do you, how do you navigate the world falling apart on the outside and the frustration of you doing things right on the inside? I'll tell you how. It's because when you come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you get him on the inside. And what you have on the inside cannot be taken from you by what happens on the outside. It can only be given away by you. The outside can't take what you have in Christ, but you can take what you have in Christ and you can, you can give it away. Jesus comes and he goes through the challenging circumstances with you. So when you cry out, I don't get it. He goes, I know. It hurts, I know. I'm alone, not really, because I'm with you. I understand you, I love you. So while you walk through the pain of the lower story and you wonder how many more of these am I gonna have to navigate? I'm already eating vegetables, God. They've already changed my name. You really want me, can I just, can I just bow for 90 seconds? No, because what you have on the inside will eventually make its way to the outside. What you do is, is while you're here in the lower story, you keep your eyes focused on the upper story, but you point all the people around you in the lower story to Jesus too. That's what they did. And I believe with my whole heart, that's what you and I can do too. I want you to think about that as we move to this time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.